Rudolph, the red-nosed reindeer, he's only valuable. His red nose is only valuable when it gets Santa Claus out of a jam. And what I'm realizing is that if I'm not careful, that's the narrative that I can pass on to my daughter when she is starting to be told things about her uniqueness that maybe she doesn't like. This isn't enough. This is bad. You look weird. You look, you know, in a derogatory sense. And I think that's just a really cheap story. I think the better story is that nobody is promised the transformation of ever becoming a butterfly. But right now, in this present moment, as a caterpillar, you're beautiful. You're wonderful. You have inherent worth. You have inherent value. How many times have you questioned something about yourself, your art, or your story, simply because it looks different than everyone else's? In our social media culture, it's so easy to get caught up in the comparison game. But what if that uniqueness, that weird quality that you possess, what if that's where all your magic lives, where all of your best stories come from? We talk about that and so, so much more this week on The Story Podcast. While story invites us to ask powerful questions, your life and your story are shaped by the questions you ask. Where is your curiosity pointing? What is the story that you ache to tell? The only way to become a better storyteller is by telling more stories. To be a writer, we have to sit down and we have to do the work and we don't get up until it's finished. Your greatest work may not be seen by millions of people. Keep making anyway. Rise up, artists. Your canvas is the consciousness of this generation. The only hope we have are the stories we tell. Stories not bound by what is possible. We are proud to be storytellers. My friend, CJ Cassiata, recently stopped by Story Headquarters here in Nashville. I would say I'm a writer because I think everything could be traced back to that skill and you think I do a lot of different things but writing's really at the, the heartbeat of it so yeah. it's the easiest way to yeah. get to point two of the conversation what do you do yeah CJ is a writer but he's also a brand consultant who has helped some of the biggest brands in the world discover their unique identity and share it creatively. He's also a speaker and we can't wait to hear from him at Story 2018. You have a book coming out, right? Mm-hmm. Tell us about that book. Yeah, it's called Get Weird, uh, Discover the Surprising Secret to Making a Difference and it's really about the intersection of uh, identity, creativity and empathy. So it's the less controversial version of ICE right now. <laughs> Identity, creativity, and empathy. Yes, yes. I, w- I want to get to that. So we're going to dig sure. into that deep over the interview. Before we get to that part, I want to go back to closer to the beginning of your story. Cool. How in the world did you go from childhood to writing a book about how to get weird? Yeah, you know. It must have been that you were weird as a kid. I was a totally weird kid. And I loved these guys. My, my four heroes were Jim Henson. Mr. Rogers, Walt Disney, and then George Lucas would be a would be a fourth on that, probably four or four. But all these guys who just kind of use their weird creative imaginations to somehow move culture forward in their own uh, corner of the universe. And so I've always been inspired by those guys. And that's really the book is kind of a a almost a self reflection of like, am I 
am I kind of living anything like <laughs> those guys now at you know my 30s and kind of had to take a good hard look at myself and go there's a lot of things you're not doing you're you're kind of playing it safe and so this book has been a little bit of a pep talk to myself um, and hopefully to anybody else who reads it to go you know you're we're not meant to just sort of check boxes and conform to patterns all the time like we're meant to actually live out of our weird unique imaginations that we're all installed with <laughs> from the beginning for sure of our of our childhood yeah it's it's why i'm so excited that you're involved in story this year because so much of our theme you know revolves around the idea you know we were inspired by that idea from alice in wonderland where alice basically asks have i gone mad you know? <laughs> and the answer was yes yeah, like you're entirely bonkers but that the next line is the most beautiful line, which is, but I'll tell you a secret, all the best people are. Yeah. Um, so I think w- what I've noticed is in trying to serve the story community is that they all feel like weirdos. Mm. We, in, inside there's something about us that feels like we're misunderstood or that no one gets us. Um, but it's those weird places that our best work pours out of, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because like part of the book is like convincing most people that like, they are weird and that's a good thing. But then I got about like a third <laughs> through writing it and I realized, wait a minute, there's this whole subset of like creators and people who know that they're weird and they're just trying to figure out how to live as a weird, unique sort of oddball <laughs> in the world, <laughs> professionally, creatively, um, individually. And so that was kind of a fun section to really dig into and, and, and write about because I feel like that's this tribe that listens to this podcast and engages in stories. Like, no, I know I'm weird. I just don't know how to function in a world that sort of conditioned me and conditioned most people to fit into a pattern or a box. How much of that can we blame on social media? Well, today, I think a ton. I think there's a, a giant emphasis. That I, I talk a little bit about like the overemphasis on the word story and what i love about story um (laughs) the gatherings and what you've built is that you really get at the heart of what story is but we sort of use it as kind of a cheap i think like we always use it in the same way we use the word love now like love can either mean like a deep affection for somebody or it's like oh i love pepperoni on my pizza really do you really love it though and so i think that's a little bit where we are with story everything is share your story and you know your story matters and you know live a better story and so for people who are kind of they kind of already understand that they're weird and they're unique and they think a little bit outside the box my challenge has been to myself and to those people is um that underneath your story lies your identity and your identity is actually the thing you really want to pay attention to because your story as you know as a professional storyteller you can omit parts, you can add parts, you can manipulate it. And if we're not careful, uh, John O'Donoghue says we can, we can confuse our identity with our biography. CJ says that while social media itself is a new medium, the problem it poses is an old one. While it started out as a new, exciting, almost sort of punk rock way to identify yourself to the world, it's become commodified and homogenized. And since our stories are often told on social media, they've become commodified and homogenized as well. That's dangerous, but the danger isn't unique to our generation. It's the same old problem, the temptation to pretend 
that you're normal. Why do we want to be normal? We want to be normal because it's safer. We've been predispositioned at some point. Could have been a parent, could have been a coach, could have been a bully, could have been you know somebody who said, who saw our weirdness, who saw us stand out and go, you know what, I don't like that. I'm going to single you out for that, and um, you're going to pay for that. And so I remember, for me, it was in the fourth grade. I decided to ad lib in, in a school play. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I was like, I, I was looking at the material the night before. I'm like, this is hack material. Like, no, this needs it. And so I decided to ad lib, not tell anybody about it. And we had this thing growing up in 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 New York in the ni- early '90s. It was called peer mediation. And um, I don't know if this was like across the U.S. or whatever, but it was this idea that a bunch of people around a four mica, you know, table, like we're <laughs> sitting in now, you know, a bunch of suits were like, you know kids we should like encourage kids to solve their all their own problems and like talk it out and it's like nobody had ever seen lord of the flies before or like how that turns out (laughs) so um the teacher did at the end of the play afterwards he gathered the entire classroom around and decided to say hey you know cj what you did that kind of was not that messed up other people in the play and everything and i should have i totally should have been coached and talked to and said hey your actions have repercussions and stuff but he did it in front of the whole class and he was like, well let's all discuss it now so you got like fourth yeah. graders you know speaking into you know this play which wasn't very good to begin with and so again you know it's like the, the writer's room now everybody's a critic and everybody <laughs> in, turned into like an nbc executive uh, all of a sudden you know a um, bunch of nine-year-old suits but, but anyway on the way back to, to class because we were in like the cafe gematorianasium you know yeah. so that kind of yeah, multi-purpose yeah, yeah, yeah. thing on the way back to class you know Kids are kind of elbowing me, you know, nice job, Cassiata, you know, that was, can't believe you did that. And I remember I was holding it in, holding it in, holding it in, and like the fifth kid who just, you know, razzed me, I just, I just, you know, my little lost fourth it. grade, I just lost it. And, um, you know, it was the moment where I went, okay, it's probably better not to stick out and not to um, take a risk. And again, I totally should have been talked to and coached about how to sort of aim my unbridled sort of sure. sincerity, you know? Sure. But instead, I was told to, in, in more ways than one, to not even um, awaken that and to use that and that it was inherently bad. Yeah. And that's a pretty mild story compared to what most kids grow up with. Sure. I'm pretty lucky. Yeah, but it was still someone who could have said, like, hey, I love how much courage you to, yeah. to do that like that was amazing like yeah. it shows a lot of talent yeah but maybe next time we should try it this way yeah know? what is just, our, our buddy brad says you know to be be the grown-up you needed as a kid yeah. you know that's a that's such a beautiful uh exactly. sentiment yeah exactly so basically you're, you would think a lot of us aren't embracing our weird today because it was like kicked out of us as kids essentially yeah exactly yeah. it's better to to play it safe and to you know if if the antithesis of weird is same, right? And so we, we'd rather kind of be same. We'd rather kind of check out boxes, conform the patterns. And if we're not careful, you know, we're going to stall out creation. We're going to stall out uh, culture and we're not going to move it to where it needs to go. Yeah. Yeah. But we've been conditioned to believe that. Even our art classes as kids, you know, it's like more like a Crayola commercial than it is this um, symposium where everybody, regardless of their talent, regardless if they're a good drawer or not, you know, can learn from a teacher. And, and there are so many great art teachers. I'm just saying sure. systematically, sure. I wish art class growing up was more about the truth that I learned later in life that what do artists do? They, well, they change people's minds. 
they move culture forward. They, they shift paradigms. They make people think. And I wish I would have known that as, an, as a kid that, hey, my unique perspective, my offbeat sort of ideas, those actually have the power to change things. And so that's what I'm dedicating the, the rest of my life. That's the soapbox I'm not getting off of is that, you know, as human beings, especially as kids, we have the power uh, to change things using our imagination. Mm-hmm. So, so much of your childhood is obviously led up to you writing this book now. How has the rest of your professional career, because that career is obviously not starting like with this book. You've sure. done a lot of really amazing work with a lot of amazing companies and brands before this. How do you feel like that, that middle season of your life and creative work has contributed to this yeah. next season? No, it, it's good. There's a, really at the end of the day, what I do when I come in and I consult companies or we do a workshop with their team is really help them think outside the box when it comes to their identity, when it comes to, you know, a lot of people use the word brand. I love the word identity. You know, that's why I think brand identity is a great word. What, what, like who, who are they? What does the unique combination of people that make up this organism that is a team, that is a company, how are those people unique um, in comparison to another similar, you know, a company that would seem similar on the outside or a nonprofit that would seem similar on the outside. And what I've run into time and time again is, hey, we want to bring you in because we want to be unique. And then halfway through our conversation, it's like, well, what we really want to do is what competitor A is doing <laughs> or what competitor B is doing. And I go, wait, time out, time out, time out. The reason why competitor A is so successful is not because they rubbernecked and looked at what somebody else is doing. The, the, the major player that you're talking about right now that you want to be so much like they got there by zagging <laughs> they yeah. got there by changing the script flipping the script around and yeah. thinking weird and getting weird yeah and so again it's very um it's not the first approach that we usually take it's as a human counterintuitive, beings it's counterintuitive for sure. for sure but you kind of just have to trust that process and be willing to fail and be willing to iterate and all of those things but yeah. That's awesome. Well, let's walk through some of the practical stuff in the book. Sure. Uh, one of the things you talk about is this idea of the myth of the caterpillar. <laughs> Tell us about that. Yeah. Uh, so I got a, a, a daughter who is uh, going to kindergarten tomorrow. First time. And <laughs> first time going to kindergarten. No, hopefully the <laughs> last time she goes to kindergarten too. She was a total weirdo. She doesn't repeat. The yeah. first time around. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> those, those ABCs, man. She couldn't get them. No, but she's, you know, she's starting, you know, I'd be honest with you, I'm a little nervous because I know she's, she's beginning to enter this world that we're talking about where all of a sudden some of the things that make her unique might be deemed as um, weird in the derogatory sense or um, unvaluable or whatever it is. She could get made fun of and stuff. And so kind of backing up, I wrote a lot of this book on my friend's farm right outside Nashville, Tennessee. It's this beautiful farm and there's, you know, wildflowers and cows and chickens and geese and it's just amazing. And so I wrote it on our porch and I was writing for about three days in a row and on the third day I'm like, man, I honestly was like a little bit disappointed because I couldn't, I wasn't getting any sort of inspiration and I thought this beautiful place was going to, was going to grant me. So I'm about to leave my friend, the farmer, her name is Mama, Lu, Mama Moo. She's in her, you know, late 60s. And she's just, this is what she does all day. She's just farm this land. Um, instead of retiring, she just is going at it every day. And 
before I leave, I was late for a meeting. She comes in, she scolds me. She goes, no, you got to go and pick all these, you know, vegetables, bring home to your family first. I'm like, all right, okay. She's being super generous. All I can think about is getting to my meeting like a, you know, a good grown up would. And so I'm walking through all these rows of tomatoes and eggplants stuff. I'm picking stuff and everything. And I hear her go from the corner of my eyes. She goes, look, come here, come here. You got to come over here. So I'm like, all right, what, what, what is it? And so she's cupping this tomato leaf in her hand, and she's like, look, do you know what this is? And I'm like, yeah, it's a tomato leaf. Like, can we get, you know, get with the program? I'm late for this, you know, this meeting. And she goes, no, 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 look. This is the caterpillar that turns into a monarch butterfly. It was resting on this tomato leaf. And I'm telling you, this thing was like lime green, bright green, bright yellow, bright black. Like, it was a beautiful creature. It was an objectively wonderful <laughs> organism and she asked me she goes isn't it beautiful i'm like yeah of course it is and three days of like no inspiration suddenly turned into this nanosecond of unbelievable insight because i went my entire life i've been told this myth that the ugly caterpillar turns into a beautiful butterfly right the ugly duckling turns into the swan you know rudolph the red-nosed reindeer, he's only valuable, his red nose is only valuable when it gets Santa Claus out of a jam. Mm-hmm. And what I'm realizing is that if I'm not careful, that's the narrative that I can pass on to my daughter when she is starting to be told things about her uniqueness um, that maybe she doesn't like. This isn't enough. This is bad. You look weird. You look, you know, in a derogatory sense. And I think that's just a really cheap story. Yeah. I think the better story is that nobody is promised the transformation of ever becoming a, better, a butterfly. But right now, in this present moment, as a caterpillar, you're beautiful. You're wonderful. You have inherent worth. You have inherent value. And that's the narrative that I want to perpetuate my own yeah. family and my own kids. And and obviously metamorphosis is amazing and transformation is wonderful and we should be seeking that. But those are things that we should want and instigate for ourselves, not leave up to other people. Yeah. But it also I mean it overlooks the now too, right? So even if even if there is the hope of the future of the transformation into a butterfly, it overlooks the beauty and yeah. the magic of where we are right yeah, now. Yeah, it's a false narrative. As if, as if caterpillars and all of their weirdness and lack of beauty, yeah. a, apparent lack of beauty, are I'm telling are you, worthless this, this as, thing, until they become. You yeah, know? and this thing was was objectively magnificent. You know what I mean? Yeah. It didn't have to wait to cocoon up and transform into a butterfly to be no. That's good, magnificent. Man. That's good. I think there's a lot of people listening who probably are like, you know. They, the reason they have the strength to keep going is because of the hope of the metamorphosis. Yeah. You know? And that's what keeps their drive alive. And they overlook the beauty of the now. Your weirdness is a gift yeah. to us in the present tense. So CJ has this analogy about slides. Here's how it works. You go to a playground, you see kids doing things that feel risky on monkey bars, swing sets, or to use CJ's example, slides. And most kids will take the risk. They'll go down the slide, but first they wanna check and make sure someone is watching. They wanna make sure that their parents or guardians are seeing them. And that's one of the best parts about taking a risk, being seen. Like a lot of people think that 
story is this super polished thing. They don't realize how many creative risks that we're actually taking, you know? Oh yeah. And some fall flat, you know, I kind of our approach to the conference is actually like, you know, our whole team of people that we're all out there doing work. Like the story is like a big giant passion project. And yeah. so, you know, we're all out there doing other stuff throughout the year to generate revenue and pay our teams. And, yeah. and I always tell them like, Hey, all the ideas that get shot down cause they were too weird or too outside the box. Like yeah. if you get told no, write those ideas down, keep them in a book. We'll try them at story. Right. That's and awesome. so we're creating a safe place where I feel like we ourselves are going like, Hey, is anybody watching? Like yeah. we're about to go down the slide. Is this a safe place? Like, can we try this? You know? There should be like a no lab or something like that <laughs> where like all the no's go to be yeses, you know, all of the, the reject. It's story. That is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. I was talking to a buddy who the other day on the out, on the outside, he looks like he's got everything going on from a creative perspective and life is just going great for him. And he was telling me about a couple things that haven't gone so well and, some rejections or some disappointments and it, it i just i just texted him back i was like man nobody people just will never know like yeah what it's like on the inside of this and i, I don't know if that's due to social media or you know whatever or but it's like it's not yeah it's not sexy work most days no no and i i even struggle with like how much of that do you share you know like, i know I think right we, we as a culture especially our generation has gotten past the whole like you know, create the highlight reel on Instagram. <laughs> yeah. So everyone thinks for the perfect life, but now the pendulum has swung back and I see people almost, there are a lot of social media influencers that are now very vulnerable on social <laughs> media, but they're not vulnerable for vulnerability's sake. No, they're vulnerable for their brand's sake. There's a fine that's line the new thing, right? between authenticity and whining. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's like I, and then this gives you insight to how much I over analyze everything, but uh, you know, then I go, oh gosh, like I'll, I'll like type out a pretty transparent caption. And then I go, wait, do, are people going to think that I'm like faking transparency? And, I, and then yeah. you like reevaluate everything. And then I just usually, this is why I only post like once a week to Instagram. Cause I'm like, screw it, close it. I give up like, yeah. um, which, which then you go back to, well, now I'm doing everything from a place of what other people think, which is right back where we started. The whole thing comes full circle. Yeah. Um, and that's why I'm saying identity is more important than story story is this wonderful tool that illustrates who we are or who we're becoming but knowing that it really does help with the multitude of problems <laughs> i remember you know a couple of months ago as i was kind of wrapping up this book trying to go okay the true self the true self and thomas merton talks about the true self <laughs> richard Rohr, and all of these heroes of mine and i'm okay gotta i gotta get to this and figure this out who am i re really and you know the more i read up on it and sort of delved into it i was like oh i know this guy i know the truth like i what they're talking about are these pings you know to my soul that i've felt ever since childhood where and you you know that you you know when something is truly coming from an authentic place you know when something when you can't not do something or you can't not go down that slide or take that risk and it's learning to operate and trust that inner sanctuary, John O'Donoghue would call it, that is the life's work of knowing the true self. But it's not, I don't think, as mysterious as we make it out to be. You know it. You know when something's coming from a truly authentic place or when you're writing something in order to uh, 
appear authentic for your brand's sake. Mm-hmm. For sure. One of the reasons why I love talking to you and reading your writing, you always have these unique word pictures that help us understand things. Um, and one revolves around the idea of bears and bungee jumping. <laughs> uh, why don't you talk to us about that? Yeah, bears don't bungee jump. <laughs> why I don't that? know if you guys know that, but bears, do, you have never seen a bear bungee jump in your life before, neither have I. I've seen some bears jump, but without bears a bungee. Jump. Yeah, <laughs> it's because human beings, for whatever reason, and this dovetails right into what we were talking about, It's we're the only species on Earth that can take a look at the odds and decide to defy them. Can take a look at, yeah, you know, there's actually been a couple of deaths with a bungee jump. You know, bungee jumping before, but we're going to do that anyway because we want to experience wonder. We want to experience that thrill. We want to know what it means to be alive. We're the only species that bungee jump. And so look at music uh, or a musician for you know example. It's like, okay, you've got the data on paper. Really, it's what we think a musician does is they translate data. They translate numbers and letters, but this is really all what reading music is, right? It's time signatures and math and all of this stuff. And so they they translate it and they they play it. But what's interesting is not only do they do that, but they also use their intuition every once in a while to go, you know what? Yeah, on paper it says this should be played kind of fast. I'm actually going to draw this note out a little bit because... I feel like that's what the room needs right now. I feel like that's what the emotion calls for. I'm going to actually play this note a little bit sharp because that's going to add a little bit of, of, of depth that isn't necessarily on the paper. And so that's where the humanity aspect comes in. It's not just, we're, again, we're the, only, we're the only species who can look at the data, interpret the data, but then also add our unique flavor to it. And that's what makes being human amazing. Yeah. And unique, amazing, as we bring our own wonderful selves to the composition. I love that, man. You're talking my love language. <laughs> One of the other things that you talk about, which, and I love this idea because I feel like it speaks into that a little bit, is sometimes we don't do that because of insecurity. But yeah. You like to talk about insecurity as a good thing. It is. <laughs> uh, all right, speak to that. Well, there's a, a Catholic nun named uh, Sister Simone Campbell, and she, she does this thing called Nuns on the Bus, where she gets a bunch <laughs> of nuns, puts them on a bus, and they tour the country. Sounds like the beginning of a joke. It really does. There was, so there was no, a bunch of nuns real. on a bus. They are real people, <laughs> and they, they go out and they um, care for the poor and marginalized in our society. And she talks about um, our culture in the West needing to adopt a theology of insecurity, meaning we've become, and I'm I'm guilty as charged of this. We've become so obsessed with, you know, having the alarm system for the alarm system and having an extra sweater to pack on our camping trip because what if the other sweater, you know, has a hole in it or something, you know? We've become obsessed with security. And really, when you're doing any sort of creative work, you're kind of in the business of going, I don't know. Yeah, this this might not work out, and I think adopting as creators and as storytellers this this posture of embracing insecurity, of going, you know what, I'm going to go into this situation, I'm going to go into this project, open handed, going, you know what, uh, this this might not work the way I expected it to, and I'm willing to be wondrously surprised if that happens. That's embracing insecurity in a good way. Versus going in with the bravado of saying, how can we 
shoreline this? How can we make sure? How can we, we put guardrails around this thing where it's absolutely safe and foolproof? Adopting a theology of insecurity. Ooh, say that again. Adopting, Adopting and, this is, and this is Sister Simone's language, we need to adopt a theology of insecurity. That's deep, man. Still <laughs> sinking in for me. <laughs> yeah. It's our role as creators and as storytellers. CJ talks about a woman named Julie Taymor. Uh, you may have heard of her. You're definitely familiar with her work. She adapted The Lion King for the stage, which is the highest grossing Broadway production of all time. But for her follow-up, she took on the infamous Spider-Man musical, which became one of the most notorious flops in Broadway history. According to CJ, this means that the playing field is level. We're all capable of huge failures. Most of us probably don't need any convincing of that, right? But we're also capable of huge successes. That's why we need to adopt this theology of insecurity. Like I've been thinking about the whole, like what it means to be a mad scientist. Mm-hmm. And I think there's there's three versions of, of a scientist. There's a mad scientist, there's a bad scientist, and there's a glad scientist. <laughs> so the mad scientist, we, we all, we're, we, as creators, we're all mad scientists, right? We all have crazy ideas that might not work out and we've gotta, you know, we've gotta try them. Can we re- reanimate, you know, dead tissue? Hopefully not, but you know, Dr. Frank, we're all Dr. Frankensteins in some way. So we're all mad scientists. A lot of us become bad scientists. Because a bad scientist, you look at the scientific method, right? Goes, I have an idea. I have a hypothesis. It might not work out. It might be wrong. So I'm not going to do anything about it. (laughs) I'm not going to experiment. That scientist would not get a grant. That scientist would get kicked out of the university really quick. But that's what we do because we call experiments failures. Hmm. So we're bad scientists. Glad scientists are ones who fail often and they usually fail with others usually scientists do not work alone right they're always testing stuff with other people finding other people finding other scientists going hey you know poke holes in this thing how can this thing be better so we are mad scientists we don't want to be bad scientists the goal is to become glad scientists that's awesome if you uh other than read the book and dive in deeply so you get the (laughs) fullness of this message and i know this process for you has been a long time coming you've been working on this for a long time and poured so many hours into this book and you put your heart and soul on these blood pages. sweat and crayola man <laughs> that's <laughs> awesome um so obviously you know we want people to pick up a copy and and get weird themselves you know um, but if you could summarize it in one final thought for the thousands of storytellers that are listening if you could just gosh if there's one thing that you could pick that you just wish they would know or could know what would it be yeah it's that you have permission to be who you are before the world kicked it out of you. Be who you are before the world told you not to. Whatever that 10-year-old version of yourself was, try and figure out how to connect with whoever that was again. You're going to find some really interesting insights. Ellie Weisel, who you know spent a bunch of time as a kid in a concentration camp, won the Nobel Prize in, in his speech. He goes, I turned to the boy version of myself now i'm totally paraphrasing because i turn i turn to the boy version of myself and he's asking me hey what'd you do with our life what did we we got out you know what did you do with our life and i I feel like we all imagined our boyhood or girlhood self asking our grown-up self that question it would really cause us 
to maybe make some changes about the person we are right now. So who were you before the world told you not to be? I challenge you to take some time and really think about that. What did you do as a child that brought you joy? What did you care about as a kid? Who were you before you cared about what everyone else thought? So good. I hope that you learned as much as I did during this conversation with CJ. Uh, To learn more about his work and get his upcoming book, visit getweirdbook.com. And if you're interested in hearing CJ speak, join us at Story, where we'll be talking about embracing our weirdness, our madness, because as Lewis Carroll famously says in Alice in Wonderland, you are mad, you're entirely bonkers, but all the best people are. Isn't it time that you embraced that? Come join us. Learn more at story2018.com. As always, I'm Harris III. I hope to see you there. Thank you so much for listening.